Good evening. Thank you for coming. It's a Saturday evening again, so Saturday nights are good to stay in the devotion. Association of Krishna's devotees. There's a lot of other association out there, which is not as beneficial. So we're coming to a section of Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. And for 12 Anuchetas, he's going to give us first entrance into and then a deep understanding of the spiritual world, which is non-different from Krishna. It's fully transcendental, fully worshipable like Krishna. So this we'll start here with the 61st Anucheta. So Jiva's told us that extensively Krishna's body, you know, is transcendental in so many ways, and then everything that he wears, everything associated with his body, is of his same transcendental nature, the Swarup Shakti. It's also fully transcendental and worshipable. And his weapons, they're also the same as his very self. They can even show the universal form like Shudasan Chakra or come to the aid of his devotees independent of him. But they're not independent of him. They are him. They are part of his essential nature. That's the point that's being made. They're not like we're accustomed in the material world. If I pick up a hatchet, there's a distinction between myself and the hatchet, or a hoe, or a whatever I may take, a spatula in the kitchen, or a pot. There's a difference between whatever implements we use in the world around us and the clothing we wear, but that's not, that's not the nature of the consciousness that permeates the transcendental realm. There's no matter there. There's no earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, nor false ego. The way we conceive of them and experience in them with our empiric senses here in the material world. Everything there is fully transcendental, including the abode itself. So Jiva's going to start here in the 30, 61st Anucheta and introduce us to a deep understanding of the nature of the Lord's transcendental abode, the Vaikuntha. So Jiva Goswami shows that Bhagavan's abode is also part of his swarup, his intrinsic nature. Now he's already touched upon this subject in the 10th Anucheta of this very Bhagavat Sandarbha. And he will now focus his attention on this topic for the next 12 Anuchetas. So we're going to go deep into that understanding. So I want to read from his Anucheta and then we'll walk through it. It was previously established that the Lord's abode is also part of his essential nature. He's talking about, he's already brought up a couple verses in support of this this tattva, this contention, earlier in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. In verses such as, he showed Brahma his own planet, Vaikuntha. 
nonetheless for the sake of clarifying the topic for those who would be who would otherwise misconstrue the absolute through abraded intellectualism we will demonstrate it here once again as follows it's interesting coming into this section of the bhagavat sandarbha and how much contention there's been regarding the very nature of devotees in Vaikuntha not being cent percent, one hundred percent immersed in the Lord's Swarup Shakti, that they can still somehow or other have some inclination of a desire to return to the material realm. Are you saying somebody that's in Vaikuntha can have a desire to return? Yes. So he's talking, he begins here talking about such a abraded intellectualism that would not understand this is not possible. So now he's going to talk about about, we're going to go over a listing of the nature of the Vaikuntha planets, and then he's in this particular annotate, in this particular section, section, he'll deal with the first item on the list. The list is has nine items in it. So let's just read through it. The first one, this is like Jiva Goswami's checklist. Let's try to understand these nine items. First, Bhagavan's abode, being identical with the non-dual reality, cannot be attained by dualistic action, which is to say by result-oriented action, karma of any kind. Can I ask a question? Okay. So the um, duality, is that hypocrisy? No, dualistic in this context is action in the world of duality. So there's nothing we can do in the material realm that can gain us entrance into the transcendental realm. There's nothing material that we can do. Now there's spiritual things we can do, but there's nothing material we can do. We can't buy our way in. We can't perform great austerities and expect to enter into the kingdom of God. We can't give away everything we have in charity and then demand, <laughs> well, I've been so pious that I deserve entrance into the transcendental realm. So that's what's being spoken of here. There's nothing that we can do from this realm of action that can gain us entrance into the transcendental realm. There's no materialistic activity that everything the attainment of that realm is fully transcendental it's 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 a, it's but we can make ourselves available to the mercy that will gain us entrance we can be at the right place at the right time we can associate with the right people who have some already been there we can, there are things that we can do, but not dualistic things. So that's going to come out uh, the, 
the nature of those things will come out a little bit tonight and then it'll come out more and more as we progress. So a Bhagavan's abode being identical with a non-dual reality cannot be attained by dualistic action, material action, which is to say by result-oriented action, karma of any kind. So karma is the, the key phrase here. Number two, it is described in the Vedas as transcendental to the manifested karma, cosmos. So it's separate from what we see in the night sky, in the cosmos, and the conception we have of the universe that we inhabit. The transcendental realm is distinct from that. It is glorified for the reason that those who attain it, being pervaded by its intrinsic nature, do not fall down to the material world. Having once gone there, you do not come back. Krishna mentions this in the Bhagavad Gita. If you come to my transcendental world, your material life is finished. Eternally. We may not be able to trace out our beginning in material world, but once we're done with the material world and and been bestowed the mercy to enter this transcendental realm, there is no coming back. Krishna can send us back, or we can come back in his traveling roadshow, but it's not, it's not like we enter the material world at that time. Because when he comes, he brings his transcendental world with him. He even has some transcendental worlds within the material world. There is a Vaikuntha planet within each universe. Sometimes he'll give a planet, he'll reside on a planet with his devotees and just by his residence there, it becomes spiritual, fully spiritualized and becomes a spiritual planet because it's eternal. Number three, it is glorified the... Okay, that's four. Number, that's three. Number four, it can be attained only by one permanently established in freedom from the gunas of material nature. You have to become free from the influence of the Lord's external energy and completely turn your consciousness towards his internal energy. That turning of consciousness is what's required on our part. Krishna does the rest. We just have to focus our attention on him under good guidance. Number five, the abode of the Lord within the material, the abodes of the Lord within the material world. As I said, he does have some abodes of his own, which are spiritual planets within the material realm. Are also to be, transcend, to be transcendental to the gunas because of his presence in them. This being the case, Vaikuntha is certainly ascertained to be transcendental by the afford, afford Tory principle, fortori, a fortori. What that means is, I looked it up. Is that all one word? No, it's two words. A fortori is a form of argumentation which draws upon existing confidence in a proposition to argue in favor of a second proposition that is held to be implicit in the first. In other words, 
transcendentalists accept that Vaikuntha atmosphere, the transcendental realm, is, is full of spiritual planets. And they're all transcendental. There's no influence of the most material nature in the spiritual world. So what's being pointed out here in this English translation and the use of this, use of this word, uh, fatori, is that if the Lord has a Vaikuntha planet in the material world, it's also free of the gunas of material nature. So it's really not in the material world, but he does have to have some place to stay because he does have an expansion of himself who's in charge of the mode of goodness in the material world. And sometimes when his devotees are in the material world, he becomes so enamored by their service that he wants to stay with them. Like Dhruva Maharaj. So he gave him a spiritual planet. Like Bali Maharaj. So he stays with Bali Maharaj in what would be considered, you know, as Vamana. He's there. What is it? Patala Loka? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Number six. Scriptures declare that the Lord's abode is, by its very nature, beyond material nature. Seven. They declare it to be eternal. Eight, it is attained only by pure devotion, or in other words, by non-dual action that is causeless, uninterrupted, produces no extraneous effects, and is one in nature and orientation with the non-dual, complete whole Sri Bhagavan. It's a mouthful, but what it means is it's attained by pure, unalloyed devotional service, devoid of any desire, for material result or tainted in any way by material action. It's completely percent percent pure unalloyed devotional service. Generally when we begin the process of devotional service under the good guidance of the guru and the sadhus, there's still some, some mixture of material action. We call that stage uh, we still have some inclination towards material actions to try to enjoy our senses so this this phase of devotional practice which is in the very beginning is uh, uh, what do we call it no after that anarthanivriti anarthanivriti now, from the very beginning of devotional service, there's there's still the influence of the modes of material nature. Um, it's like running its course. It's like an analogy's been given to unplugging a fan. We should plug one in here, but it's like unplugging a fan. It's still spinning. There's still some nice, cool, refreshing air coming, <laughs> dissipating the heat of the body. Uh, but it's it's turned off. It's unplugged. So our karma. Two things happen in the de beginning of devotional service. 
Um, one is our life begins to everything starts coming up roses. We may not even know it, but it's it's uh, subada, subada, auspiciousness comes to us, spiritual auspiciousness. Things start working in our spiritual favor. Now, sometimes working in our spiritual favor works against our material favor, and we're thinking, why did I ever want to be a devotee? I'm losing my this and losing that, and this is taken away from me, and I'm forced to do things I don't want, and I'm forcing myself to do things I don't want, and my mind's giving me so much difficulty. And Kleshugna. Kleshugna is what we're speaking about here, about unplugging the fan. The karma of our prior activities is running out. That's okay. So the karma of prior activity, the fans unplugged. The it's it's compl- It's also there's another analogy that's used sometimes. It's like a snake, a poisonous, venomous snake, who no longer has any fangs. You see this sometimes in 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 videos of cobras from India. They'll take the poor snake and dis- and pull the fangs out of it, so it can't defend itself anymore. And then they'll act like they're a snake charmer. But, the, 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 you know, so they'll have a little baby there with the snake. Have you seen this video? I've seen this video. They, so they have a the, the baby playing with a cobra, and this cobra is striking the baby. But there's no harm. So they say, just see, the baby is, you know, some great, great sadhu and saint. This, this, yeah, you rip the the fangs. But that's good analogy because that's what happens when a devotee sincerely takes to the process of devotional service. And who takes sincerely in the beginning? We take to the process and our sincerity comes the more we associate with the devotees. So it's not like instantaneous. But from Krishna's viewpoint, when somebody is serious and takes shelter of the guru, that's the beginning. They may go through some difficulties. They may go through some lifetimes of difficulty. Bharat Maharaj became a deer. It's there in the Bhagavatam. He went through some difficulties. He forgot his place. He forgot uh, forgot to keep his, his eye on the balls, as I think they say. So, But everything came out right. He came back for another life as Jud Bharat in a transcendental body at that time. Vishwanath points that out in his commentary to the story of Jud Bharat, mm-hmm. that even though he's within the material world, he had a completely transcendental body by that time. So it's only attained by pure devotion, uninterrupted devotion. A little bit more of that before we before we finish up this evening. 
This is referred to as Satchitanandagana, a highly compact mass of eternal being, consciousness, and bliss. That's what constitutes the Vaikuntha planets. In the material world, we have the concept of Satchitananda. We, ourselves, are eternal. We're full of knowledge. And if we just let ourselves be aware of our being, we'd be blissful, we'd be joyful. But when you, when you compact that, that's the Sarup Shakti. That's Sandini, Ladini, Samvit. Compact. It's like unendingly, unendingly blissful, unendingly existence, and there's nothing that's unknown. Although we like to be, anyway. So, let's go on and send Acheda. So, now Jiva is going to going to relate a bit of a discussion between Lord Krishna and Uddhava uh, from the 11th canto. The various destinations of those engaged in the system of Varnashram Dharma. What do we call that? Dharma. Arta, Dharma. Kama, Moksha. So there, as I said, it's not that the material world does not come with an instruction manual. And we, we gave a, give a nomenclature to that instruction manual. It's the Veda. It's, it's coming directly from the creator of the universe, from the mouths of Lord Brahma. But it's a parasheya, it's transcendental sound vibration, not of human origin. It's a pure source of knowledge for the conduct of, of humanity. So we call this Varnashram Dharma. So Jiva goes on. Now number one. This is the first of the nine items. The first of these, the characteristic of being unattainable by dualistic or result-oriented action of any kind, kamadibir, aprapyatvam, is stated by Sri Krishna as follows. So Krishna is explaining to Uddhava, no matter what kind of a material activity you do, the result is not going to be Vaikuntha. He says to Uddhava, Swargaloka, now, Swarga Loka is the residence of the gods, the people that keep the sun shining, keep the water coming, you know, keep, they, they keep, they're the, they're the suppliers of all of our necessities here. There is a huge, although it, it's all ru running beautifully, there is some organization and some deep thought and management that goes into the nature that we live in, the world around us. Now, we have no trouble accepting this when it comes to the cities and the cars and the industry that we experience of. We know that somebody designed the building that we work in. We know that somebody 
put in a heating system. Somebody designed an air conditioning system. Somebody came up with the with the uh, fire suppression system in case the building catches on fire. Somebody designed the computer that I work at at my desk, and somebody made the chair that keeps my back from going on out so that I can work 40-plus hours a week for some... So we have no trouble accepting any of that management. We can see that in the world, in the, in the you know, amongst the people here that we we're with. There is a there is an architect. There is a, a computer technician. There is a software uh, analyst. All these things we can see. But then we look to the world, the, the natural world around us, and we see all the wonders of there. I mean, even you look at one snowflake, the one, how beautiful it is when you put it under a microscope, which we made. So we admit that we can make a microscope, but I guarantee you we can't make the design in the snowflake that we can observe with the microscope. Now we say that man made a microscope, but we say the Snowflake just happened by chance. We we've got to kind of get our, you know, we say, we we say, oh, a man made the robot, and then we look at the small child coming out of the womb with a perfect body, everything's intact, was in there for nine months and grew gradually, and it has a backbone, it has a complete, you know. Uh, uh, sewage disposal system. It has a <laughs> one of the first things you notice. Uh, <laughs> it has an energy generation plant. It's got a you know a complete uh, circulatory system. It can think. It uh, and we think well that just happened by chance. Evol- it, we evolved. Nature evolved to the point where the baby came out of the womb like that, from an amoeba, you know and. All right, so the point here, <laughs> Krishna is talking to Uddhav about Swargaloka. It's not that the Supreme Lord doesn't know what's going on. And what's going on is there is a, a higher realm of consciousness where everything we experience in our realm, from the, from the seeds that make the plants, that make the, the food that we, we, we subside on and the air that we breathe and the water that we bathe with and that we drink all these things are controlled also by personalities these people we refer to as the devas the demigods the sky gods uh, what are the natives native americans uh, whatever the nomenclatures are the spirit Nature spirits, whatever the different cultures are, they need to see that this, you know, we we can't let human society drift so much into materialism that we lose sight of the fact that nature itself is just as wondrous, and if we just step back and let it do its thing, we would be a lot happier for that, you know. But we can't control society. We can only do our individual. We can control society under good guidance. The problem is, recent history, 
our experience of society, our memory of society in recent times, is speaks to what you're saying. We can't control it. But there are other ages of man, and there are other men, who can do a good job of controlling it in different ages. But you are correct. In Kali Yuga, no. There's no controlling human society. But there's other ages of men which are golden ages and silver ages. And, you know, they're a long time ago. Way... They're coming again. Yes, coming around. So, samsara. It's, it's, it's a deep philosophy, but the Indian culture and the Vedas speak of different ages of men, and this is the last and the worst. In other ages of men, they talk about staying in one body for a hundred thousand years. And being able that's Satya Yuga. In Satya Yuga, the person, man or female, we lived in the body for a hundred thousand years. If we had a human body, we could meditate perfectly. All the mystic siddhas that we read about that yogis can attain come naturally to the residence of that of that age of man, followed by Treta Dwarpa, Treta Yuga, the second set of yugas. A lifetime is only ten thousand years in one body, and then, then we have Dwarpa Yuga, which is just before this yuga. Lifetime is a thousand years in one body, and then we have our little. Well, if we make it a hundred years, we're lucky. What's next? Uh, what's next is it starts all over again. What comes after winter? Spring. What comes out after spring? So you look at it, it's just like the seasons. These four ages of men are just like the seasons of the year. They come circle around, they go full and circle. Changes the political. Everything changes. So at those in those so what I was speaking about to give you an idea, according to the Veda and, and these ages of men, there are earlier ages of men where a king would rule the whole planet and he would be a perfect king. So when you read in the Bhagavatam, we hear about the different personalities and even recently in, in, in the, at, the, at the junction of the last yuga and this yuga, kings like Maharaj, uh, the whole battle of Kurukshetra, you're reading about the Bhagavad Gita spoken there, uh, that was to put a, a, a worthy king back in position, Maharaj Yudhisthira. And he, he would not let anything go wrong in his, in his kingdom. Everything was managed perfectly. Uh, we could go so off of this. what happened? What happened? Kali Yuga. Somehow it broke down. Yes, time I am, Krishna Kali says Yuga. in the Bhagavad Gita. Is he a demon? Is that a demon? No, Kali Yuga is Oh, that's the age. Okay. Yeah. Right, and Kali enters and it and starts polluting humanity. Yeah, that's what I'm. Lust, thinking. anger, it's greed. Kali Yuga. Yes. Let me push forward a little bit this evening. So Swargaloka, this is Krishna speaking again, to Uddhava. Swargaloka is the residence of the celestial beings. Bhuvarloka is that of the spirit entities. Bhuloka is the world of mortals. The worlds attain 
the worlds attained by the Siddhas or those who have attained mastery over the paranormal powers exist beyond these three divisions. Om Bor Bhuvaswa. So above those are the residents of the Siddhas, perfected, perfected beings. Sri Bama created the region below the earth for the ungodly Asuras. So below our this level of consciousness, earthly consciousness, the world of karma, there are other lower planets for people who have no desire or inclination or even belief in the fact that there is a supreme being. So is that hell? We would call it hell. But some of those planets are more opulent and there's more enjoyment there than what's found in the heavenly atmosphere. Do you know what level we are? Yes. As Krishna is speaking here, uh -huh. we're on Bhuvarloka. Okay. No, Bhuluka. Bhuloka. Bhuvarloka is, is spirit. <laughs> We're we're on the we're in the earthly atmosphere. Okay. We're on the world of karma. Okay. This is yes. the world where there's action and reaction. Okay. And there's also heavenly conditions as well as hellish conditions. Yeah. Sri Brahma created the religion re, region below the earth for the ungodly Asuras and the serpent race, Nagas. In this manner, the various destinations available within the three worlds have been arranged in accordance with the scale of action conducted under the influence of the three gunas. This is Krishna. He says the same thing in Bhagavad Gita, just different words. Through yoga discipline, severe austerities and adherence to the renounced order of life, the spotless destinations of Maharloka, Janaloka, Tapaloka, and Satyaloka can be received. So these are the, this is the the best residence you can get. These are like the penthouse apartments in the material world. These are perfect people. They got lots of pious credit in their bank account. They can afford the rent. And they can live up on these topmost planets. This is all going somewhere. Very important for us. So, how do the people reach the penthouse apartments? of material existence. What piety do they have to put in their bank account to attain these places? So, we know that yogic siddhas are attained by yogic perfection. People become perfect at yoga and they can, they can get various powers. So all of the all of the higher planetary systems are the residence of people who who do conduct a God-centered life. They're aware of the Supreme Lord, they acknowledge his existence, and to some extent or another, they perform actions within their life of gratitude towards the Supreme Lord. So, Sridhar Swami, now we're going back to Jiva Goswami Sanacheta, and he's quoting Sridhar Swami, that great commentator on the Bhagavatam. 
He also comments, Brahma further distinguishes the Vaikuntha planets, Tat Sankula, means abounding with them. With what? With the airships of the devotees, which have become available. And this is a key point that we're going to go to. To them, simply by the simple process of offering obeisances to Sri Hari's lotus feet. And not by means such as dualistic or result-oriented action. Where's Jiva going here? Jiva's going in a very specific direction. What he's pointing out by quoting Krishna's discussion with Arjuna is that the eternal abode is simply attained by the Lord's acceptance of devotional activity. So one would question, how does one attain these high penthouses within the material world? So what are those penthouses, first of all? What are they? Mahaloka, Janaloka, Tapaloka, Satyaloka. So we, we're aware that there is a Varnashram system. Krishna speaks of it in the Bhagavad Gita. He claims he came up with the idea. So how does it work? Within the material world, as I said, there is a rule book. So the rule book is there that if you are able to become a brahmachari. Now, what's that mean, brahmachari? Brahman. It means somebody that studies scripture. So if you're able to study scripture then there's a breakdown of two kinds of people that study scripture. Some people become a a brahmachari, a brahman achari, somebody that studies scripture for a short period. They basically go to school. They follow Varnashram, they follow the system in the Veda recommended for leading a good life in human society. And they started out by becoming a student of spiritual science. So those brahmacharis, they're brahmacharis, they go to the the school of the guru and they learn the science of offering respect to the Supreme Lord, offering homage for everything that we have in material existence to the Supreme Lord and conducting themselves in a an appropriate fashion in human society. And once they're done with the school, then they go and they get married. And they get married in the proper way because they've been schooled how to be married. And they they conduct themselves properly in human society. Upakorvana. Upakorvana Brahmachari. There's other people that go to the school of the spiritual master and don't want to leave. It's like the subject matter just 
takes over their interest in life and they no longer have interests in getting married and getting a job and artha, dharma, kama, moksha. Well, maybe they do have a desire for moksha. But they have no... They, the, the hearing from scripture has a real impact on them and they just say, well, I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my life. Naistika brahmacharis. Now, if either of these brahmacharis go through their whole life perfectly, they attain some of those penthouse residences. Maharloka is for the Upakorvana brahmachari, somebody who goes to the school of the guru and then conducts household life appropriate. Janaloka, having good knowledge of spirit and matter, is the Naistika brahmachari. Then there's Ivanaprastha, somebody who at the end of their life, after they've finished up their affairs in material existence, they see the writing on the wall, so to speak, death is coming. And at that time, they give up householder life and dedicate the end of their life to contemplation of the Supreme. They don't do this inappropriately, though. In a good society, the children take care of the wife. Or the wife sometimes says, hey, I'm with you. And she goes to the woods with the husband. And they both live very simply and renounce material existence before death comes. Their attainment for that austerity, tapo, very austere to live the end of life. You've lived through life to just give everything up and, and, and throw away all the comforts of, of, of the life that you've known. Uh, so you attain a tapo loka. And if you're a sannyasi, which means throughout your life you don't even think of sex life, not even the thought doesn't even enter your mind, then that's such a loka. So, based on these different degrees of yoga, one attains these different destinations. But we need to understand that none of these people can attain Vaikuntha because their actions are under the gunas of nature. And Vaikuntha is not attained as an effect of dualistic action. The only which means by... So we're talking about in the material world. We're not talking about the devotees. We're talking about people that follow Vardashram Dharma according to the system for proper conduct in human society. There's a little bit of devotion there, but... There's more the desire for the destination of the perfection of their yogic practice, whether it be the attainment of the siddhas or the attainment of these upper, higher planetary systems. Now, of course, attainment of these systems can lead to liberation, especially those sannyasis who attain Brahma's planet 
Well, once they attain that planet, well, Brahma's a great devotee, so how can you associate with Brahma and not have some of that rub off on you? And if you stay in that atmosphere and are able to imbibe some of that devotion, when Brahma's whole, he wraps up the whole material world, he's done his term, 100 years of the life of Brahma. It's a long time. They they all they attain liberation with Brahma. Brahma does get the reward of liberation after doing his duty, but he's not the only one. And we might not get to that tonight, but it's interesting. All the demigods are devotees of the Lord, and when they perform their duty perfectly, they do end up in the higher planetary systems, and. At the end of the material universe, all their parabda karma is burnt off and they do attain the Vaikuntha atmosphere. Yes? And how, how do they become demigods? Desire. Everything is well, intent. They human and they arose to a transcendental state. They were great yogis. Their duties in material life are not transcendental. How are they how do they become demigods? Because of desire. They desire. Like we have the story of hmm, who is Prahlad's grandson? Bali Maharaj, yes. So Bali Maharaj, he basically had a had a consciousness which was antagonistic towards. Well, he was basically was envious of Indra. He wanted his position. That's how he got his position. He performed austerities, and he followed the necessary regulations to himself become an Indra. So in the next cycle, he is going to be, in the next Manvantara, we're in Vaivashvata Manvantara, there's the next one, Chakshusha Manvantara, Bali Maharaj will be the Indra in that, in that Manvantara. Is this, so is this monotheistic? You have one supreme and then many other demigods? Yes, there's still only one supreme personality of Godhead, but he has many administrators within the material world. Those administrators are worshipped God as gods by people who have less intelligence. It's exactly what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. They're less intelligent. It's like, you know... It's like trying to, you could go to the king and he could give you whatever you wanted. Or you could go to, to one of his ministers and try to bribe him. It's much better to go to the king and approach him directly. He's going to be more pleased with you. But if you try to bribe one of his, you know, so the demigods are kind of like that. They're in charge of material affairs and people offer, make offerings to them for results and they get they're awarded some benefit 
it's a complex system which it's hard for us to grasp in this age of man that there was a time when this could have been conducted properly in human society. But the Bhagavatam teaches that there were those times, there were those people, and there are those sacrifices and procedures that can afford you an opportunity to yourself become a demigod. If that's what you want in life. I know that, but I'm saying, you ask how can people do it? Right. They can do it because they want they Oh, yes, yes. They're the same. They are a jiva, jivatma. They're one of, they're, they're just in the same category as we are. Except they're perfect in, in, in material affairs. They're perfect yogis. They've, they've wanted this. They wanted to be a progenitor. They wanted to be a kardama muni or a kashyapa or a, you know, they had a desire to do this service. And luckily, they have, in order to get the job, you at least have to acknowledge the man upstairs who's really in charge. So they're all devotees to some extent, but, and, because, and they're awarded for their service as devotees in due course of time. They're purified of all those desires. Krishna says that also in the Bhagavatam, doesn't he? He says, if you, even if you have some material desire, I'll fulfill that desire in such a way that it will not hamper your spiritual life. You will, it, will, it will be fulfilled in a way that you will never ask for such a thing again. So these did the demigods... Did the gurus have that? Huh? Did the, did the Swami, did the gurus have that? Have what? The ability to do that? Yes. Or do they have that in order to become a Swami? We approach a guru for spiritual knowledge. But they've attained a different level, correct? Of spiritual perfection. But they don't have the less desire. It's under, we, we understand that, this, that the pure devotee, the guru, the, the, the pure sadhu, whether he's acting as a guru or not, has all the power of all the demigods. So in answer to... An answer to your question, yes. Does he use it? No, for the most part. Once in a while he may. We see Narada Muni would use his powers from time to time when circumstance, there wasn't anything else. They could grant a benediction. They could, you know, even a Brahmin can grant a benediction whether he's a, a Brahmavadi or a, or a Bhakta. So yes. Simple, simple answer, yes, they can Long answer, they generally don't. They don't want to give you something that will get you more entangled in material affairs. They want to get you out of the material world and end suffering permanently, not piecemeal. Mm -hmm. I'll end there. Does anyone have any other questions? So I'll stop there. I thank you for your association. Mm -hmm.